0: views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity.
1: Hello and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Roxanne West business development manager at Schneider Electric. Schneider Electric has made it its purpose to empower all to make the most of our energy and resources. What this looks like is bridging progress and sustainability for all. Today, we are going to talk about what Schneider Electric is striving to achieve in this purpose. And we are going to focus in today specifically on automation. So Roxanne, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to Schneider Electric and what your role is in the company.
2: Thanks for the introduction, Joe. So I am uh, currently based in the south of France. I've been working for Schneider Electric for the last couple of years. And uh, prior to Schneider, I've worked for about seven years. I have a background in chemical engineering. Uh, I worked as a process engineer for a chemical manufacturing company in Texas uh, and then a project manager in the wastewater industries in Florida. And then after that, I decided to move to France to obtain my MBA. And then uh, when I graduated Graduated, I obtained this opportunity with Schneider and I've been them, with them ever since. Um, so for those of you that don't know Schneider Electric very well, uh, b- a brief background about them. Uh, so it's a relatively large company. Uh, we have about 34 billion euro worth of revenue uh, last year uh, with almost 130,000 employees in over 100 countries. We're a technology company providing energy, automation, and digital solutions. Uh, We were actually named uh, the most sustainable company uh, in our peer group by Corporate Knights and Schneider Electric is the only one of its categories to have been named uh, consistently in in the Global 100 every year since 2012 uh, by Corporate Knight. And most recently, we were also named Time's 100 uh, most influential companies. So now uh, my role in Schneider Electric is to uh, manage and diversify our market in uh, process automation. So this is the division that I am working for, uh, which has been primarily concentrated in, in oil and gas. So we're trying to diversify into new segments such as you know, carbon capture, CCUS, biofuels, green blue hydrogen, things of that nature, um, which, you know, our existing customers are also investing in, you know, and we want to help them with their journey in this transition to help them achieve their sustainability goals as well. So, you know, our mission in Schneider Electric is really to be the digital partner for sustainability and efficiency for our customers.
1: That is, that's very exciting. And it's exciting to hear your role and to talk to you specifically because you are looking at not only oil and gas but you're looking at kind of everything and schneider electric working with with pretty much everybody and trying to understand how do we how do we become more sustainable so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so let's start high level what are some trends that you see in this energy transition and and specifically, what are some challenges that we're coming up against for further acceleration and implementation with with the energy transition?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. You know, definitely we've seen a lot of growth, and the investments have definitely grown in the past few years. In fact. Uh, there was a report recently by Bloomberg NEF. Uh, it says that these investments uh, last year in tw- 2020 has reached over one trillion dollars, and you know for the first time it's it, it was equivalent to that of the fossil fuel investment. Um, so that's exciting, but uh, still you know we're we're still far from uh, from it being the end. Uh, the journey is still uh, far and there's more to do. And definitely technology developments will help accelerate this growth even further. Um, so there was a, a study, a recent study done by Deloitte, uh, and they identified the uh, uh, with some of the energy industrial executives they said that more than 50 percent of them uh, said that digital and operation technologies are priorities for them to improve their operation and efficiency for a low carbon future so like i said well there has been growth there's still you know major challenges for acceleration so just to name a few you know first is really how to manage the scalability and profitability You know, we see a lot of technologies, we see a lot of um, new companies, startups, and so how to address this, how to release all all these different technologies to scale them and find, you know, a profitable business model uh, for them. Um, Second is also the availability of infrastructure and skills. You know, uh, like for example, with with the carbon capture and hydrogen development, you know, we still need to develop the critical backbone infrastructures, like the pipeline in terms of distribution and transportation uh, for hydrogen, for carbon captures to store them, things like that. And also uh, how to address the reduction of, of skills a reduction of expertise, you know, uh, with the aging workforce. How do we uh, then find new skills, new talent uh, that will be able to uh adapt and also know uh, to address these different technologies, right? And lastly, is how to upgrade and repurpose uh, our current assets uh, efficiently. So, And also, we know with the energy transition applications, uh, the trends that we're seeing on that the, the processes are becoming more modular. Um, they need faster execution time from, you know, the pilot stage to large-scale production, driven a lot with uh, by regulations. Um, so the need to also meet their sustainability objectives. Um, so how do we, how do they pivot from that pilot plant to their commercial large-scale production? How to help them with that uh, acceleration, right? Um, And some of the processes are also integrated into existing assets, you know, like carbon capture. So how do we add those units efficiently uh, also to minimize any disruptions to their existing current operations? Um, And also last but not least, uh, you know, the critical role of process OAMs and licensors that we also see now. Uh, who are developing all these different technologies. Um, And it's a very much fragmented market. There's a lot of different uh, players, different companies, uh, niche players, and also then the value and and the need to protect their intellectual properties become very important, you know, as they they develop all these technologies and and for them to stay profitable, right, to stay in the market. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of different there's a lot of exciting movement happening and those earlier things that you pointed out from Bloomberg and Deloitte and their studies showing the investment and the growth. That's very exciting. I, and I think we'll, we'll walk through kind of each of these different points that you've made. Definitely starting with that, that whole viewpoint of, of, looking at the automation and and scaling up the, the processes as one of those key one of those key um, priorities that that people are seeing because I think that everything that you walked through there are are examples that could be taken from any industry. The idea of making more with less using your existing infrastructure and being able to produce more or taking, taking physical footprints here, talking about modular systems and being able to produce, whether it's hydrogen at various little spots across the globe, or whether it's finding small CCUS reservoirs where you can reinject into, but being able to do that at a quick scale. Right. So it's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Let's first focus in on this, the process automation, really how do we improve operational efficiencies? How do we get more with less? So diving into that, I guess, how exactly does automation of a system, what does that look like now? And what kind of constraints does that, does the current status quo of automation, what constraints does that put on this new era of industry? That being modular systems, new energy applications, let's just call it that.
2: Right. So, in the world of automation and industrial automation, it's definitely, it has followed a different path compared to the IT world. It hasn't changed much in the last 50 years since the first uh, programmable programmable logic uh, controller were uh, invented, um, PLCs, uh, and uh, and this is partly due to the over-reliance of proprietary systems. So... With that being said, they pose uh, barriers to innovation, right? So it's not easy to run automation applications written from one system to another. So that means that making changes is very slow. It's also very costly to uh, to to innovate and to take different new approaches. Um, there's also a lack of standard uh, objects to choose from. So it takes a lot of engineering for you to create. Uh, a holistic plant architecture, so you have different islands of controls, and this creates inefficiencies. Um, you also have proprietary systems; they're difficult to maintain, very expensive to upgrade. So, unlike you know our phones or the computer that we have now, they're not geared to take advantage of you know the latest advances in in digital technologies. So, oftentimes, you know industries and companies they they don't realize the full promise of digitalization. And you know, now also with the new generation of, of workers and talent, there is also limited attractiveness for them to work on these old systems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you look into now the, the, the new energy transition ecosystems, you have many different uh, I would say players involved, right, with the process OEMs, with EPCs and in end users. Uh, Making uh, and 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 right now automation is kind of uncoordin- uncoordinated to integrate within these various players, so making it very difficult for you to integrate to larger applications and include the the, the, the bigger value chain. Um, so then, when we look into industry specifically, you know um, the. The industrial sector, specifically, you know, 30% of CO2 emissions come from industrial sectors. So we need to address then: how do we uh, mitigate? How do we reduce this? So we, re- you know, we think that they they need the combination of energy and automation and software to reach the sustainability goals. Mm-hmm. And also with that, only 26% of industrial companies are reaping the rewards of digital transformation at scale. You know. From some of those barriers that I mentioned, just purely from automations. So upgrading, you know, something, uh, an automation platform uh, that can address uh, and, and integrate for you to reap the benefits of software and the digital transformation. We think we that can that can help them uh, reach and and, and re- reach that full potential of digital transformation. And also industries now are the number one sector uh, targeted by cyber criminals. Um, So effective management of people, processes, and technologies is also key to resilience and efficiencies. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier about um, the availability of skills. The industrial sector is also facing you know, an expected shortfall of about 8 million workers by 2030. So how do we address that uh, and also have uh, a te- technologies that can, I like say, adapt to new uh, generation of, of skills and, and talent to make that attractive for them, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And actually, something I was talking with, another guest the other day, although they're working on building new uh, they're, they're building new industry um, assembly lines. Mm-hmm. and their problem, same problem they can't get the workforce to uh, to man those lines because the skilled labor for lack of a better term is, is isn't sexy. It's not right. interesting okay. to people right now. And it sounds like this is essentially the same problem yes. when you're talking about this, which is it's it, it's still interesting. It's still like it's almost data science, computer programming, like automation is in that interesting area area of computer engineering. But if you don't have the ability to kind of work on everything, if you don't have the ability to improve those processes then you're you're just Joe in the bun factory pushing a button with your left hand. <laughs> and so so I guess the larger question, how do we how do we start to tackle this challenge? How do we make automation for all?
2: Yeah, so you know, we after fifty years of, you know, kind of doing the same thing, uh, we we really realized that, you know, it's no longer hardware. Automation is no longer driven by hardware. It's it's now driven by software, right? So how do we integrate this, and how can we also utilize the same workforce that are working, for example, at Google, at you know Facebook, things like that, to make it also attractive for them, um, to make it more IT oriented. So. Um, so this new approach of automation will also be, you know, compatible to the Industry 4.0, which is, you know, what we're seeing now, and what what uh, now we're even seeing Industry 5.0. So, um, so we think that software-driven digital transformation is really w- where we need to go. Um, so, and it's it's fueled by increased computational power and connectivity. Um, So with this, we are using um, uh, a standard called the IEC 61499, uh, which is an event-driven object-oriented distributed approach. Uh, It's essentially extending and enhancing the current IEC 61131 standard, which is what we're currently using for uh, the standard automation uh, programming right now. Um, So, this allows the IC61499, allows automation systems to really take advantage of IT technologies. And then it will able to address, you know, our customer needs for flexibility, interoperability, and efficiency. So, in uh, 2020, Schneider Electric actually co-founded a nonprofit organization called uh, UniversalAutomation.org which is an open collaborative uh, organization based on this IEC 61499 standard, uh, introducing users to a world of like plug and produce application to to think, you can think of it like an IT app store concept, like your Android uh, app store. Um, So it enables you to have this kind of a la carte automation where costs and performance can be optimized by assembling you know, different components independent of the vendor, right? So uh, in, in this type of concept, in a universal automation world concept, your software is essentially decoupled from your underlying hardware. So it's based on kind of three foundation build, build, building blocks. First is that IEC 61499 standards, which is the, the really the technology enabler. Um, second is a shared source runtime execution engine, which our the hardware vendor will need to be a part of to run on. Uh, and having that community of users and vendors, right? Obviously, to make this open, we need to have people on board, we need to have Different companies, different vendors, also having the uh, executing their hardware on this uh, same approach, this the same uh, runtime execution engine. So the more uh, vendors and users we have, the more options, the more flexibility you have in terms of choosing and really having that open uh, open network. And how this really works is, you know, uh, like I said, we are. Decoupling the, the the hardware and software dependency. So basically, you can before you even select your hardware, you can create your already your application your 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 system on the software um, by you know building your your it start, it starts with a function block. So you build your process your system, and once that's done, uh, then you can distribute. Uh, the uh, your application uh, on the different hardware, whatever hardware uh, that you have chosen, obviously has to be part of that ecosystem that I mentioned before. Um, so you can a- almost, you know, in parallel work already on your application, independent of your uh, purchasing your hardware. You can do this later. You can do this in parallel. You know, this will also help you. You know, if you have supply chain constraints, if you um, can't find the hardware, you know. You, you don't have that limitation anymore, right? Uh, you can continue engineering your system, uh, and then you know, pick the hardware uh, that you need later on. Um, so we have, you know, in, in Schneider Electric, use this concept of universal automation to create uh, an application platform, uh, and it's called the EcoStruxure Automation Expert where you can build your application using the software components that are portable and easy to install in any automation hardware. And you can deploy these applications, like I said, across different different systems of hardware, architectures, or components, really minimizing your programming effort. Um, You can also incorporate uh, edge computing uh, for those more... Calculation intensive applications, uh, and then the processing load can be shared across the available hardware resources. So, really, um, this platform, EcoStructure Automation Experts. Uh, we believe allows you to realize the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution and help and will help you work towards, uh, you know, 100% engineering efficiency, you know, eliminating low or no value-added tasks, as well as 100% operational effectiveness, to provide engineers with the tools they need to maximize their asset uptime and to also optimize their uh, workforce efficiency. And also making it 100% future-proof, right? Because with this type of approach, you are you, you are agile enough to, you know, change your system, to uh, replicate your system. Because you can, you know, migrate your application. You can scale it up and down. You can modify it. Um, so... It's like having, you know, uh, an update on your on your computer, you know, uh, simple as that. Versus how automation is uh, now, uh, that's not the case. I mean, you have to rip out the system. You have to code, program completely from scratch, depending on the hardware selection that you have chosen. So, um, so yeah, it's really a, a new. Uh, approach that, you know, I think it's, it's about time that we have it, you know, to keep up with the IT world to have this barrier between IT to OT, uh, broken down to have that convergence. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah, so I, I, I want to make sure that that the audience hears this, the one of the key things you were saying there that I saw was decoupling the hardware from the software. And I think that is, is so valuable because the, the, I think the best way to explain this would be kind of walking through an example here, thinking about the, the, the assembly line of, say, the 1940s or 1950s, something that, that doesn't seem like that long ago, or even the assembly line of the 1980s if we were to walk through that and this is this is my my understanding so tell me if i'm wrong Roxanne but you would have everything presumably everything would be purchased from the same the same company as far as these hardware pieces and that hardware company is the one developing some type of code that is built into each of those hardware pieces And that is what keeps the assembly line going. And you've got your 10 or 15 human personnel that are are doing whatever tasks that can't be automated. Now, that 1980s assembly line, fast forward to 2020, is still running 1980s software. It's still 1980s parts. And to upgrade it, you have to have that original company company a who built all the hardware you have to go to them and ask for replacements and instead of replacing step five you have to replace all of it steps one through ten and by the time that's done it sounds like it it doesn't seem logical to go through and replace all of it at once especially nowadays when you could go and if you had the opportunity, go and update the software and say, oh, step five is is slowing down. The machine is is not it's not the young spry 1980s machine it was. So let's run it at a different, different frequency of work. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? We really want to be able to plug and play different pieces and new software that maybe understands, I don't know, something else to make it work better.
2: Correct, correct. So this also enables you to, you know, not have a specific vendor that you're locked into. You're free to choose uh, different vendors. um, And to also, like I said, in terms of migration, in terms of updating, you know, you don't have to uh, reprogram each time, right? Uh, It's essentially everything is already on the software level. You have your application, so it, it just makes things that much more efficient. You, you eliminate a lot of the uh, engineering and, and programming uh, with, with this approach. Hmm.
1: So I, it definitely makes sense. I definitely see the value here. One question that I have, and I want to make sure I'm understanding this right, is you're essentially promoting opening and standardizing automation practices when I look at that, I then wonder, and I guess, where is the competitive advantage for for companies if we're going to standardize all automation?
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a bold move. Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, Schneider Electric, we also sell hardware components, right? This is also one of the... Um, Kind of bread and butter that we have, but we think that this is, I, you know, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, it's it's already the case in the IT world, and also it's it's a demand for some uh, for a lot of the our end users because they're they're frustrated uh, that they are locked into a certain vendor and they have to invest on all these costs, high costs uh, and time t- uh, when they need to do migration, they need to upgrade their uh, control uh, system. Um, and they don't want that, you know, they, 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 they want to also be more efficient. Uh, they also, like I said, want to have the ability now to look at uh, um, data and contextualize data to, make full use of software tools. You know, we're, now we're looking into artificial intelligence, machine learning, things like that. And more companies are also wanting to have autonomous operation. Um, so how do we do this uh, if we have, an, you know, kind of an old school obsolete, inefficient uh, controlled uh, system, right? Um, so we think that, yes, it's, it's definitely a, a disrup- disruption. Um, but we want to be kind of the first movers uh, leaders to uh, uh, to adapt this, to promote this. Uh, because we believe in in um, um, sustainability and making things more efficient and helping our customers uh, on this journey, you know. And yes, we have to think of other approaches in terms of how do we make money, right? Uh, how do we adapt to this? But uh, like I said, it's it's definitely something that will happen. It's either you know now or later. But uh, like I said, we want to be the the, the first. Uh, adapter the first uh, the the first promoter of of this approach you know
1: yeah and I, I think looking at it from the from the oil and gas or the geothermal industry I think it it makes sense when you look at it from a almost a development perspective because there are there are companies going from early stage exploration all the way through project development and building out the hardware and, and everything. And so each step almost has their what they're good at. And if you were to try and hire a single company to do all of it, typically that is not the best way to, to go about it. You want to be able to go to a a a marketplace, something like the 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 marketplace that y'all are are promoting and building and being able to say okay this one is best for step 1 this is best for step 2 this is best for step 3 and now we can build the best the best process we can mm-hmm. and that ultimately helps everybody do you have do you have some some real world examples of how this kind of process works how how automation solutions like the Ecostructure automation expert has helped accelerate, accelerate growth in the energy transition and in sustainability for any, any specific process or, or specific area? I guess, do you have case studies we can talk about?
2: Yes, uh, so I have I have a couple that we've already implemented. Uh, so in the energy transition applications, you know, uh, so one is for a green hydrogen uh, pilot plant. Um, so we were able to use Ecostructure Automation Expert uh, to really homogenize their their system because. Um, They had many different uh, packages, different OEM skids, uh, packages that they needed to homogenize and to have uh, a unified system. Um, And not only that, they would also like to, you know, because this is a pilot plant, they would like to replicate this and also scale eventually to a commercialized plant. So they were looking into a solution that will enable them to, uh, provide that scalability, that flexibility, and the uh, expandability uh, of their modularized uh, container skids is what they have. Um, So we were able to use EcoStruxure Automation Expert to integrate uh, and centralize and and manage these different uh, uh, systems that they have, uh, also integrating um, our energy management system. So that's another thing that I think what's unique about Schneider, because we we also have uh, energy management solutions and, and process automation, so we are able to integrate these two worlds uh, kind of uh, together, um, making it you know more efficient for you to design and 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 also have that holistic point of view from your energy management side as well as your process, right? Um, so this was one example that we had. Uh, this was in in in, in Germany. Uh, Another example we had was for a plastic recycling application. Uh, This was also for a pilot plant. And they were a very huge proponent of universal automation and ecostructure automation experts. So they really um, made full use of the the values that we were offering. And they... um, had used all the hardware components that were part of uh, universal automation. um, And for them, it was nice because it, it really gave them the flexibility flexibility in terms of the hardware selections. And again, also, this is not their uh, only uh, plant that they're going to build. This was a pilot plant they're going to replicate. They want to scale up, right? So um, they already um, now have two pilot plants. They're thinking of, of next step to uh, industrial commercialize uh, this this uh, this plant. Um, so what's the nice thing about... Uh, using infrastructure Automation Expert is they were able to uh, create libraries, create these objects, software objects that they can replicate, they can scale up uh, and they don't need to do any re-engineering because essentially the process is the same, right? They just need to scale. Um, so these are a couple of the examples that we have already uh, that have been implemented and you know have been working great so far. So uh, we we hope to see others, um, but uh, already I think this is a good uh, example of you know the values that the that universe automation and ecostructure automation expert can can bring.
1: Yeah, and that's one of those things that you don't often think about is that scaling from pilot pilot into demonstration into full blown commercial power plant or commercial process and and I I am very aware that going from lab to pilot or pilot to larger there are there are pain points throughout all of that and that is something that past guests have talked about with the solar industry where you have a a fantastic efficiency from a solar cell on a lab scale but actually getting that into something that can be a commercial utility power plant there are these little problems that come up that ultimately it's a death by a thousand cuts and it seems like to me thinking through this you can start to find those inefficiencies and those pain points through what you pointed out very early on, you can start building your entire process and see what's going to happen before you start purchasing hardware and putting in this very large uh, investment and and um, capital deployment. Yes. So that's a it's a very interesting point that I don't think we often think about. We just know it's gonna it's gonna hurt going from pilot to full scale, but. This is a way to actually kind of make it hurt less.
2: (laughs) Yes. And not only that, also how to um, uh, make use of the small data that you have that you have collected from your pilot demo uh, scale plant, how to use that data most efficiently, most effectively. Right. So now that you have your application on the software layer, you're able to integrate things like machine learning, A.I., more efficiently because it's already on on the software. So you can integrate that, you can, uh, you know, we are collaborating, we have partnerships with uh, uh, AI machine learning companies, uh, software companies to be able to integrate their algorithms in our in our controllers, and to really uh, optimize and make use of what whatever little data that they have to find, you know, those what is the the, the, the best efficiency point, what is the projection of the lifetime of the plant, things like that. Mm-hmm. That you know, you know, if you had to do that, uh, I don't know, manually, uh, it will take a long time, right? So this yeah. is another value added uh, as well. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I could see when you're talking about these two examples being in Germany and then the plastics recycling where that was, what happens when you go from a place like Germany into the US in terms of different pricing structure for electricity, different materials, different tax structure? How do you start really incorporating that well, here you've got your pilot, you've got your data, you've got it all you've got it all in in a system, and now you could start changing those out, using your machine learning and your automation to start figuring out how do you take something that was that works in Germany and how do you get it in US or in France or somewhere else, is that is it economic to do that? And I think it would be faster. Because now you've got everything right there.
2: Correct. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So you gave two examples, and it sounds like you're you're looking for more, and you you want this to grow. How fast do you expect something like universal automation to grow, and and then how fast do we need this to grow in order for it to be? Striving for those big goals that Schneider Electric has, that being bringing sustainability to all.
2: Right. Um, obviously, we want to grow as fast as we can, <laughs> um, but it's definitely a journey. Um, and we, you know, to make this a this vision, this concept, a reality and to have a. Uh, all the adopters that we need. We need an ecosystem, uh, all the different players, the vendors, end users, researchers, universities. You know, we've already uh, have quite a few, um, but we still have, you know, a long way to go. We have, um, you know, started relationship developments on some of the big players in in, in the oil and gas uh, industries and in the chemical, petrochemical industries. So that's uh, ongoing. Um, but like I said, it's definitely a journey because, you know, it's not like, a a, a fast change, you know, uh, because also as, as an end user for you to replace it, it will take time. Um, but we think, you know, it's, 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 uh, you need to start, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, so if, if you think that this is, uh, you know, and for me, I think this is uh, the the way the future will be. Um, so the adoption uh, uh, will will take time, but you need to make that first step, right? Uh, so, you know, and like I mentioned before, also about autonomous operation. You know, we we, we always hear about ha- remote everything. So how how does this mean to in industries? How can I remotely control my operations? And this is the way to do it, right? Um, this will. Uh, make you m- less reliant on uh, human operators uh, and have a more uh, 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 accurate operation, more efficient operation, optimizing like you know the the, the resources that you have. Um, so, like I said, it's it's definitely a journey. We it, it can't be achieved by just a single company or vendor. You know, we hope our peers, even our competitors, will adopt uh, this approach one day. Um, maybe not now, but. Uh, Um, but yeah, so I think, uh, it, it will be some time, but we want to start now. We want to have, um, the adoption now, uh, to have the, the journey and the, 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 switch, uh, eventually. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, to me, the, this whole idea and this, 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 I guess you could say movement that, you're working towards really exemplifies that that phrase, "a rising tide lifts all ships," because here the the goal of of universal automation is that you you can have the best solutions for your specific use case, and and as you point out, it it may not always be having a single company develop the entire line for the manufacturing. It may be pulling specific pieces, and then it may be overlaying an IT-specific company on top of that. And I I, I am cognizant of that, looking at some of the things that, that we work on at Tavera are very, very specific on something like a, like we are looking at this one piece of the puzzle, even though the puzzle is a thousand pieces large. We want to answer this one piece. So it's it requires collaboration and mm-hmm. and groups working together in order to move all of this forward.
2: Yep, correct.
1: So I think that is a, a good point to switch into my final questions. These are the questions I ask all of my guests that first question being what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend?
2: Um, so I, I, I have my all time favorite. Uh, it's called the kite runner. I think it's a pretty popular book by Khalid Hosseini. Um, but also I just wanted to share, I just finished a book recently and in tying in with the, you know, the topic of energy transition. Um, it's a book called hydrogen revolution by Marco Alvera. I think it's a good, uh, it's a good summary and, and, gives you a lot of insight on the hydrogen and you know where it comes from where what what the future looks like with the landscape of this whole um uh concept uh, of adopting hydrogen right Um,
1: yeah great yeah those it's always fun to get something that that is relevant and then something the kite runner sounds like a fiction book
2: uh, yes, it's it? fiction based on the like non-fiction. Uh, so it's 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 a nonfiction uh, setting. It's, okay. Uh, it's it's very good. It's based uh, uh, it, the setting is based in Iran uh, when they had the whole uh, revolution there. So it's, it's quite a sad book. Uh, they made a movie of it actually. So if you have a chance to see it, the, the movie is yes. also pretty good. <laughs>
1: All right, I will have to read those and catch that movie. So the next question, it's kind of open ended, but how do we get to net zero?
2: Yeah, that's the million dollar question, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it like I mean we we talk about this a lot. The I think collaboration is 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 key. Um, You know, we have a lot of pledges, uh, different companies, countries, you know, a lot of net zero goals by 2050. Um, So I'm optimistic, but also realistic, right? Um, So these collaborations are are really key and, you know, between different companies. uh, And uh, for me also, it was encouraging to see uh, at this year's Sarah Week, uh, where we met uh, all the different uh, Partnerships uh, I saw between different companies, and uh, and regulations is another one also that is a major driver for acceleration. Right, without regulations and incentives, um, and the funding that's needed to uh, to accelerate this transition uh, is uh, we won't be able to make it without without that either so collaboration is everything uh and i'm i'm optimistic and i hope 2050 is the magic year (laughs) so (laughs) we'll see
1: (laughs) Yep, great yeah i think i think collaboration is is absolutely necessary and i think it's the way you highlight it is is encouraging because that is that's what we need now the last question you actually get to ask me a question
2: yeah, I think I'm gonna ask uh, on your opinion the same question, your your thoughts, you know, and also because you're you've been speaking to various people in this topic of low carbon solution, energy transition. What what's your take on it?
1: Take on on just all of it, how we yeah, get when, to net zero, yeah, when we yeah. get there, all of that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I th- I think that it is a it is a moving target i think we we do need to come to a global consensus on what that target is what is net zero i mean mm-hmm. i think we can see the words but we have to add a a definition to it almost like a un decided definition on how we actually meet this like what does that really stand for and what are the calculations that say net zero, not, not the simplistic in our mind, like amount of carbon versus the amount we're removing. Right. And then from there, I think, to your point, collaboration is absolutely important. And I think from the, from the standpoint of collaborating to make sure your part of the industry is, is the best it can be or part of society is the best it can be, but also looking across everything and realizing there, there are, there are solutions everywhere and it's going to be a complex answer. So it's not, there isn't necessarily one silver bullet. It is going to be using all of the opportunities available. And I think it's, I think Schneider Electric and, your your mission and goals kind of reach that in terms of we want to enable everybody to reach sustainability and it's not a i think as an example the house i live in we could have solar panels we could add a miniature wind turbine more importantly i can walk to go get my groceries And I can start removing my direct impact to the environment. And I think those are the steps. They're three different things that will ultimately help me personally get to a lower carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. It's not one or the other. It's not one solution is going to actually get me there. It's going to take multiple. And I think that's the way we have to look at it is we can't be... We can't be solely focused on one idea being the solution. It is going to be a collaborative effort.
2: Yep. Everyone has a part to play. Exactly.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Well, Roxanne, thank you for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say?
2: Yeah, I just want to say just to, you know, highlight that, you know, we really at Schneider Electric, we are really are on a mission, you know, and uh, to help industries uh, of the future to be more sustainable, resilient. And, you know, this open software centric automation is a a way to to do that. And, uh, you know, we understand also the energy transition is very complex and has a lot of challenges um, so, we want to be there uh, with our customers to help them on their journey and, and help them uh, accelerate and, and ena- enable them to reach their sustainability goals. So, I think this is important.
1: Yep, absolutely. Well, Roxanne, thank you again. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you'd like to hear more of. If you want more news and energy related stories, we have all sorts of energy related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. If you're into stickers, I have a way to get you some more from OGGN. Go to my show notes and find the one question survey link. When you go and fill that out, we can send you some stickers. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email. That email address is ets at OGGN.com. If you don't use email, you can find me on LinkedIn. And
0: until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.